0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Minnesota Twins 2, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And uh, unfortunately, our Guardians offense is just stuck in the mud. I mean, it's it's gotten even worse now. And we got to talk about it. We have got to talk about it. Um, Mandy Bell. I'm going to kick us off with this quote. Uh, Mandy Bell had in her article. The very end of her article on the game. From Terry Francona. As far as our position players go. They're here. Francona said. And sometimes if you're supposed to be patient. Or if you need to be patient. You would better be patient. Or you're going to mess up. If we thought we had something better. To serve our team. We would do it. Again. We've called up a lot of young guys. We're not just going to keep calling guys up. Wow. That's that's big. These are our guys. We've got to run them out there because the quicker they find it, the better. Wow. Okay. So everybody out there who uh, who's on the trade Ahmed Rosario and uh, call up Brian Rocchio or Tyler Freeman train, I think you just got your answer. I think you just got your answer. I... It's shocking how many. Uh, it's shocking how many people on Twitter were like, "Oh, uh, package uh, Ahmed Rosario and act together and trade them." Uh, yeah, that that'll work. Y- you understand how trades work, right? Like, somebody has to have value for you, for another team to come trade for them. Nobody, nobody's going to be like, oh, those guys are underperforming and, and absolutely sucking it up this year. Oh, well then, yeah, definitely. Here's our top prospect. That's, that's not how trades work. So yeah. So I mean, wow. A shock, kind of a shocking statement. Uh, because yeah, Rocchio, there are guys that are triple A that are raking right now. Uh, but Francona stands by his guys especially his veterans in this situation. In years past, there have been different situations where they've run through some position players. And they, I I don't know, doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to be this season. Uh, Maybe things change by the trade deadline, you know, by July. But still very early in the season, and Mandy Bell pointed out that Ahmed Rosario is a ridiculously slow starter. Uh, he's had terrible April's and May's before for us, and then really turned it on in the summer. Now, with that being said, there's no reason you can't mix up the lineup, Terry Francona. You can keep playing Ahmed Rosario. Maybe just bat him eighth. I don't know. I, I was shocked when I saw the lineup for this game, and it was the exact same lineup we've seen all season. Like really? Re- that's one thing you can do, right? You I- know, he makes a joke about serving them different food, right? If we thought, you know, we served them something better, we would do it, right? I think that's the the essence of the joke there, right? Like, hey, if you if, you know, Cleveland pierogies were the answer, we'd give them to them. But uh changing the lineup is is something you could do, right? It it changes people's mindset a little bit. It, it creates a little sense of urgency, maybe, uh I don't know, maybe how Jose Ramirez batting behind Stephen Kwan would be interesting for a while. So yeah, so, uh, okay. Uh, before we get into the storylines of this game, uh, I just wanted to shout out a few things here. Uh, first off... Uh, I really appreciate everybody that's left a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. That has slowed down a little bit. I haven't seen any new ones in a while. So if you want to help the show grow, if you want to help other people find it, and we've been growing, uh, this this kind of slump the Guardians in isn't helping, but uh, we've been growing. So uh, leave a rating, leave a review if you haven't done it yet. It really helps the show grow. We'll shout you out on the air, and I want you to know th- those of you have done it because. I mean, we've almost doubled our star ratings on Apple Podcasts uh, since this season kicked off. So I really appreciate the morning people that took that few seconds to click five stars. We're an all five-star reviewed podcast. The other thing is I want to keep challenging you to fill up the inbox. Come on. I, I see it on other podcasts. They do like full mailbag episodes. I know. I know you're out there. I know you're listening. And those of you who have emailed in have had some really great comments. Tony and Rick have been emailing in a ton lately. Uh, Greg got in a few emails. Uh, Alex got in an email. Chris got in an email recently. So I, I know you're out there. And we've had some people that have emailed in past seasons that we haven't that we haven't really heard from in a while. So uh, go ahead. Fill up the inbox. I got to shout out Rick because he emailed in a few days ago about the game. Uh, but uh, it was the game we beat the Yankees. But it was well after uh, I had recorded the episode, so sorry, Rick. We never got to your email about that game. Um, the other thing is, I, I feel like I maybe maybe have been spoiling you a little bit by recording uh, like late at night. So I, some of you, I don't know where in the world you're listening from, but some of you are like ready to go, man. If that episode drops at 2 a.m., you are there listening. Uh, so I, this morning I'm back to recording in the morning. I finally have a Saturday morning where I can sit down and do this. Um, the house completely wiped last night. So I'm going to bounce back and forth. So if, if you notice the game doesn't, you know, the episode doesn't drop in the middle of the night, uh, it's because the show is Cleveland baseball mornings. It's designed to be recorded in the morning. So I'm back in my morning time slot here. Uh, but I do appreciate you those of you that that uh, I don't again I don't know where in the world you're listening from I'm gonna assume it's some of our overseas listeners that are up and their days are started anyways uh, but I love all the people that are there two three four in the morning uh, people are clicking and listening so uh, I appreciate all the morning people out there all right let's get into the storylines of this game and uh, it's a pitcher's duel it's another' Pitchers doable between Bailey Ober and Peyton Bannonfield, who is getting the spot in the rotation from Zach Plisak. Ah, interesting. Okay. Uh, Bailey Ober actually having himself a decent little season here. He's 2 0 now with a 0.98 ERA uh, in three starts. Uh, So he's kind of joined the rotation here at the end of April. And he's kind of been kicking butt uh, for the Minnesota Twins. So uh, he has a good game against us. Uh, both these guys kind of carry no-hitters for a while. Uh, we break up Bailey Obers first. Peyton Bannonfield gets broken up a little bit later. As far as Bannonfield goes, uh, you know he's made a few quick starts, then made a few relief appearances. Right, so he makes three starts in a row, faces the Yankees, the Tigers, then the Rockies. It does not go well against the Rockies. That's his. It's his worst start of the three. Um, then comes in in some relief appearance. Uh, oh, just one relief appearance. Uh, I thought there were more. I thought there were more, but he comes in in a relief appearance against the Red Sox. Gets blown up into innings. Lots of walks in his last two appearances. Four walks from the against the Rockies, four walks in relief against Boston. Pretty ugly stuff. Uh, and then this one gets the start again and really settles in against the Minnesota Twins and gives you a really good game. Seven innings pitch, two hits, two earned runs, no walks, seven strikeouts, and the home run. The home run is the difference. He is hard hit more than Ober. Ober's only hard hit four times. Uh, Bannonfield's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Yeah, it it felt like a better start than a Zach Polacek start. I'm I'm actually okay with the decision. By the way, on the other side, Ober goes seven innings pitched as well, gives up three hits but no runs, one walk, six strikeouts, uh, no home runs allowed. Well, what do you know? There's the big difference. The Guardians. I mean, there are there are individual players that might pass the Guardians as a team when it comes to hitting home runs, which is just frightening that it could be this bad. We have home run hitters on this team. Jose Ramirez is a home run hitter. Josh Naylor is a home run hitter. Josh Bell, Oscar Gonzalez, Zanino, even Jimenez should be able to put up about 20 home runs in a season, and they're not doing themselves any favors falling this far like off their career paces. I don't remember a season ever this bad when it came to hitting home runs. Zanino looked like he might have had one earlier in the game. It looked off the bat like a good shot. The crowd thought it was a good shot, but it I think it was his first at-bat of the game. Yeah, it was a flyout. It only had an 180 expected batting average. It went 361 to left field. It would have been a home run in zero out of 30 ballparks. Uh, But that was the best one off the bat that looked like it might go out for Cleveland. Uh, Meanwhile, on the other side, those hits and home runs come in the sixth inning for the Twins. It's Max Kepler, who, man, we've been dealing with this guy for a long time. He hits his 109.7, a no-doubt-about-it shot, 440, 1,000 expected batting average, 30 out of 30 ballparks, a no-doubt-about-it home run. To right field after Christian Vasquez had singled with two outs to break up that no hitter. So uh despite that, despite that, Badenfield pitched pretty good. I he I I think you I think you probably enjoyed that more than a Zach Plesak start. Now, what was he throwing here? He was throwing mostly four-seam fastballs and cutters. He mixed it at 44-seam fastballs, 35 cutters, 12 curves, and four changeups. So, mostly the two rocking the two pitches there. Now, I know that I have railed against Cal Quantrill for not mixing in a few more pitches, for, uh, you know, going mostly sinker-cutter. The only thing I can say uh, about, uh, Battenfields fields is I, I didn't realize it was a cutter watching it live. If it felt like a slider to me, it doesn't have that much separation as far as velocity goes, you know, he, it was averaging 90.9, so basically 91 on that fastball. And he was averaging 87.7 velocity on that cutter. So not a significant difference there, right? A little more than a three mile per hour difference. Uh, between those two pitches. But I was looking at the um, the break numbers from Cal Quantrill's cutter versus Bannonfields. And Bannonfields does move a little bit more. He's got a little more vertical break to it. it uh, he averages, yearly average, yesterday was only 27 inches of vertical break. His yearly average is 29 inches of vertical break. It's a few more inches than Cal Quantrill's moves. So, is that the difference? Because it did. He got some whiffs on it. He got he got a 24% whiff rate. Five whiffs on 21 swings. Man, they were aggressive. They swung 55 times against Badenfield. They were really aggressive. 14 whiffs. That's good for a 25% whiff rate. Remember, Cal Quantrill is down at like a 14% whiff rate or something like that. So, his is getting a little more swing and miss on that cutter than Quantrill is. So, is that little bit of extra movement the difference between those two pitches, why maybe it's working a little for Badenfield right now than it works for uh, for Cal Quantrill. Uh, called strikes, he added in 13 called strikes. It's good for a 30% CSW total on the day. And like we said, seven strikeouts. Meanwhile, on the other side, while I'm on this page, Bailey Ober, uh, what was working for him, same thing, he was kind of mixing in whiffs on all his different pitches, Fa- a lot of fastballs, sliders, curves, changeups. Really a pretty even pitch mix from, from him here uh, between breaking balls off speed stuff and the fastball. Uh, it's 15 whiffs on 53 swings. We were also being aggressive, a 28% whiff rate. Add in 13 called strikes is good for a 31% CSW. So going over to the illustrator here, uh, you know, Bannon Field was attacking the zone. I mean, it's a lot of cutters and fastballs just in the zone. Um. Maybe attacking the uh, the uh, glove side, the outside edge, uh, for the right-handed pitcher likes to use the curveball and the changeup against lefties, and uses that cutter a lot against righties. So where were those strikeouts coming from? That's what I like to see on a seven-strikeout game. Uh, mostly on the cutter. Five of them come via the cutter, and most of them in the zone. Uh, frankly, he challenges uh Byron Buxton with one uh pretty pretty middle of the plate and gets him to swing through it in the fifth inning. Uh, gets Joey Gallo swinging at one at the knees in the second. Uh, throwing it to the left-handed hitter there. He would also get Gallo on a changeup that would stay away from the left-handed hitter in the seventh inning. Uh, and then he froze Byron Buxton in the seventh inning with a cutter down and away at the knees. That's a nice pitch. That's I mean painting the outside corner. Uh he also got Buxton to swing through one out there on an 0-2 count. Uh did he st- he struck Buxton out three times? Man, good job. Uh by Bannonfield taking down uh you know one of their best hitters there. Um you know, Buxton who has agreed it's interesting. They Apple TV had Carlos Correa mic'd up. And he talked about convincing Buxton to just play DH this year. Uh, guy kept hurting himself on of center field. Uh, he got Nick Gordon to go way out of the zone and swing at a cutter down at his feet. And then he challenged Carlos Correa with a fastball up at the top of the zone in the first inning. And blew it past him uh, up above the strike zone. So those are your seven strikeouts for Peyton Bannonfield. Now on the other side of things, Bailey Ober's six strikeouts mostly come from getting the Guardians to expand the strike zone. Three sliders, two curveballs, and then one way high fastball that Oscar Gonzalez chases in the fifth inning on an 0-2 count. I mean, way up there. I know he's a tall guy, so his strike zone is going to be a little different than the average strike zone they're giving me on StatCast. But really got Gonzalez to go up there. Uh, got Ahmed, this, is a shock. this is going to shock you. Ready? Ahmed Rosario chased a slider out of the zone. Uh, he did it twice. Struck him out in the fourth inning and the sixth inning. Chasing sliders out of the zone. Got Oscar Gonzalez. That's the one right on the black of the plate. Got him to chase that one. And then the curveballs below the zone are Naylor and Andres Jimenez. Again, are you shocked that Andres Jimenez chased a curveball down and out of the zone? Uh, Because I'm not. He's been doing it all season. Expanding his strike zone. So those are the strikeouts for the two starters who were dueling. I mean, because that's the storyline of this game. It definitely wasn't these offenses. They were just up there hacking and hacking and really not coming up with many results. Now, yeah, Kepler does his thing, uh, gets the two-run home run in the sixth inning, and the, and the Guardians have no response. And give credit to Bannon Field, it, He didn't let it ruin his night. He actually comes back out there and pitches the seventh. He only throws 91 pitches to get through seven innings. Um so yes, maybe, I mean maybe more of a veteran. They probably even continues to pitch, pitch the eighth inning. Uh, but you know, a younger guy, they kind of hold him up at 91 pitches. Um Logan, Logan Allen's the only one I think that's broken a hundred pitches so far of these rookie pitchers, which I would I was shocked. And they actually said they're glad they could have they could have gone without giving Banfield a start, right? Because they had the off day. So they could have kept the rotation uh, on their five days rest, but he said, uh, especially because of Logan Allen, they're glad that Battenfield could start this game. It just gives everybody one extra day of rest, uh, and you know, for Allen going over 100 pitches, probably probably could use it. Um. So yeah. So they get theirs in the sixth, and Jorge Lopez and Johan Duran just shut the door on us. I mean, we have a chance. There weren't many chances, but we get a leadoff walk in the ninth inning. And what does Ahmed Rosario do? Strikes out. Strikes out for the third time on the day. Uh, And it's just... You need a productive at-bat. I know we're down two. So, like, bunting him over in a scoring position doesn't do anything. But you need a productive at-bat here. Jose Ramirez would ground out. And then uh, Josh Naylor would strike out to end the game. So, all three of them, I mean... They have a chance. Another team that actually hits home runs, you would be thinking to yourself, okay, we got the leadoff guy on. Somebody hit a two-run home run. And look, we had two of our best home run hitters up, Ramirez and Naylor. And, and not, even, not even a chance. Not even not, didn't even lift one. I, ironically, they were lifting balls all day because that's all Bailey Ober gave up was fly ball outs. Uh, Ober, uh, gave up eight fly ball outs and it felt like for a while here, especially early in the game, uh, three fly outs in the first inning, uh, strikeout, fly out, strike out in the second inning, uh, fly out, fly out, walk ground out. So it takes to the last out of the third inning till we turn the lineup over before the first person grounds out, uh, which was interesting. The last thing offensively uh, that you're probably thinking, Naylor does have a good, he has a double, uh, a nice shot in the fourth inning. Uh, The the inning you're probably waiting for me to talk about is the seventh inning. Again, off of an over here, Jose Ramirez with a nice single up the middle. I like the approach of, look, I'm the leadoff hitter of the inning. I got to get on. Uh, Let me shoot one back up the middle just off the tip of Correa's glove. Uh, Naylor would fly out. Josh Bell would ground out. Uh, I forget when Ramirez gets to second base in this one, um, but he does move up to second base uh, at some point. And uh, Oscar Gonzalez uh, chops one off the plate. Basically, chops one minus eighty-five degree launch angle. I love that. always cracks me up when I see that distance. One foot. Uh, chops one off the plate. Ober makes an athletic play to just get this thing and get a throw off to first base, but Gonzalez beats it out for an infield single. However, Jose Ramirez on the backside of this play. You know, when a team is slumping this bad, Ramirez probably feels like, you know, as a leader, he's got to do something to spark a run, right? He's he's got to put in some kind of superhuman effort to to get a run on the board at this point in the game. And he takes this opportunity with Ober, you know, just cr- concentrating so hard on trying to field this chop. I think he said after the game it was like up in the lights and he was just waiting for the thing to come down. He had no idea what even happened on this play. Uh you know, Ober is not paying attention to him at all as a base runner. He's solely focused on trying to get Josh Bell at first to end the inning. That Ramirez takes it tries to take advantage of the situation, rounds third at full speed, and just keeps going towards home. If this works, again, we said this the other day about Jose Ramirez. If this works, we're all celebrating him. Oh, what, what smart base running, what aggressive base running. That's why this guy's the best. Unfortunately, uh, it did not work at all. I mean, not at all. The Twins first baseman, uh, Solano. Uh, I, I, was Solano or Gallo at, first at that point? I'm just going to say whoever was at first at that point, because there was a change at some point in the game when Michael Taylor came in to pinch run for Solano. Uh, at that point, uh, gets the throw from Ober, sees Jose Ramirez the whole time, he's not, Ober's blind to him. Ober's got his back turned, but that's literally where the first baseman's looking. So he sees it was Solano because he would walk the lead off the eighth. Uh, Solano sees him the whole time and fires a strike home. And, you know, he's out by a mile and they tag him out. And it ends the inning in the seventh inning. So the scoring opportunity is taken away. It would have been runners first and third with Andres Jimenez up. So they take the bat out of Andres Jimenez's hand. Would they have probably gone to the bullpen and brought in the uh, lefty to face him? Lopez, yeah, probably. Probably. But, uh, and you know, he grounds out against Lopez to start the eighth inning. I Actually, I don't know. I don't know if Lopez was up and getting loose at that point, knowing that the lefty Jimenez was coming. But uh, he would have been runners first and third with Andres Jimenez up. It would have given it you took the bat out of Jimenez's hand, basically. Again, I understand what Jose Ramirez is thinking. Was it a good decision? No, it was a terrible decision. How do I know? He was thrown out by like 10 feet. But I understand the thinking at least of I gotta do something. I and and my only tool at this point is my aggressiveness on the base path. And I've got to do something to spark this offense. And it turns up blowing up in his face. But I'm never going to tell Jose Ramirez to stop being aggressive on the base paths. You're never going to hear those words from me. Uh, we had a moment earlier in the game where Straw was aggressive on the base paths, got himself in scoring position. Uh, it was a wild pickoff attempt at first base after a walk in the third. And he's able to... Uh, Get into second, even though the ball ricochets off the fence and comes way back out into the field and makes an easy play for the second baseman, uh, Polanco, to recover the ball. But then Polanco rushes a throw and throws it wide of Correa, who's able to knock it down at least. Um, and they get over to third base and cover third base. Straw was about to go to third base, and then realized no, they, they played it right. Ober was moving over there to cover the back, um, and holds himself at second. But I think he took a deep breath knowing, uh, I don't know if he he looked back and saw where that ball ricocheted to, but I, I, normally an uh, overthrow like that at first base on a pickoff move, you get into second base a lot easier than that. So uh, he he runs out there and meets his buddy, Carlos Correa, from his Houston days. Uh, it was funny. Correa was miked up for the inning and, like, leaned in and asked Strav if he had anything to say. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that. I've, I've kind of always been waiting that sometimes you'll hear them go, Hey, heads up, I'm mic'd up. Like they'll give them a warning. Like, uh, I, I know we maybe, uh, say some four letter words out here sometimes, but, uh, keep it clean. We're on TV. Uh, so yeah. So I thought that was a funny exchange. Correa mic'd up. It was actually interesting. I know he's like public enemy for the whole cheating scandal in Houston and, uh, and his weird off season situation where he bounced around to like three different teams, and so, yeah, I know we're hard on him here, but I mean, it was an interesting interview. I got to give him credit. It, it was it was interesting to hear him mic'd up during the game. Um, So, yeah, so uh, that's it. I mean, there's not much to go on for this Guardians team. They're, they're not uh, they're completely stuck in the mud offensively. Uh, it is horrible, but don't expect. Don't expect a Brian Rocchio to come save this team. Don't expect Ahmed Rosario. Now, that's that was Francona's comments. I will give this caveat, right? We should put this asterisk next to it. That was the manager's com- comments, not the general manager's confidence comments. Not the team president's comments. So, maybe there might be a different attitude upstairs with Chernoff and Antonetti. But... Uh, but the manager is sticking by his guys, which I guess that's the manager's job. So maybe I'm reading a little too much into these comments. Maybe a Brian Rocchio will come save us. But uh, at, at the least, Ahmed Rosario just needs a day off. I mean, over 4 with 3 strikeouts. He really he really had the worst of it of, of anyone on the team. Uh, so, yeah, that's all my thoughts. Uh, I think – oh, no, no, that's not all my thoughts. That's not. I want to talk about the guy who pitched the ninth inning for us, Xavion Curry. Because if you haven't noticed, Xavion Curry's having a pretty good season in relief. Uh, He's brought that ERA down uh, from last season, an ERA of 579 in two starts. Now in seven relief appearances, it's down to 237 ERA. His whip last year was up at 2.04. It's now a 1.0 whip. He's he's actually been pitching really well in relief, and I'm I was like, okay, can I figure it out? Can I look at the data? Can I figure out what is different? He's actually being hard hit more, uh, almost almost eleven points more hard hit rate this year. Now the K percentage is way up. He's striking guys out, seventeen point three K percentage. Last year it was six point four. Uh, his walks are way down. Last year it was a twelve point eight percent walk rate. Now it's a six point seven. So big difference striking guys out and not walking them but what is actually working the four seam fastball last year they hit 409 off his four seam fastball this year they're down at 0.94 off his four seam fastball seven of those strikeouts have come via the four seam fastball uh the whiff rate is about the same but the putaway rate, he's now putting, last year was 12.5% put-away rate. This year it's up to 22.6%. So the fastball is working. And uh, he's actually throwing it a little less this year, throwing a few more sliders this year. But going over to the pitch arsenal, and this is a heat map showing me the location of the pitches. And I can tell you that that four-seam fastball is clearly, he is a clearly attacking the top of the strike zone with it. There is a clear heat pattern here of hitting the upper half of the zone, um, upper middle, frankly, of the strike zone. Whereas last year, there was a little bit at the top of the zone and then a little bit in the right in the middle of the plate, right at the belt for a lot of hitters. So maybe that's why they were crushing it. Now he's getting it up towards the top of the zone, and it's being effective for him. He's also hitting with his off-speed pitches a little bit more. Last year, those sliders, um, you know, were going, uh, they were sweeping across the plate a little bit, and uh, he was missing the strike zone with them. He was leaving them outside the strike zone, uh, just a little too much for the right handed pitcher. Same thing with the curveballs, dropping them, you know, under the strike zone. You really didn't have to swing at his curveball because he wasn't hitting the zone with it. The changeup, he only threw 10 of them uh, last year, but he was hitting the bottom of the zone with those. This year, that slider is catching a lot more of the black. It's a lot more in the zone, a lot more aggressive pitch for him. Same thing with the curveball, catching the bottom of the strike zone a little bit more uh with it and same thing with the changeup, catching that bottom edge of the zone throwing it at the knees. So, he is clearly being more aggressive in the strike zone and it's working for him. And it's working. So, uh, I just thought it was interesting, you know, Curry wasn't someone we were counting on to be a major part of the bullpen when the season began, but and they've talked about maybe giving him opportunities to start, but I, th- I think they said that they, they kind of like him out there. So I know it's a very tiny part of this game, but Curry does come in, pitch the ninth inning. Now he does give up a walk and a hit in this one, so he's dealing with it a little bit, but he does get a strikeout, and uh, he puts up a zero on the board in the ninth inning and gives us a chance to uh, to get out of it. Gets Joey Gallo to ground out to end the ninth with two runners on. That was actually two out, single, and a walk um, in the ninth inning. So maybe got a little dicey there, but Gallo grounds out uh, to end things, uh, to end the ninth inning and give us a chance in the ninth with only a two-run deficit. So I wanted to shout out Xavier Curry a little bit there and just shout out the season he's having because uh, it's not somebody we get to talk about very often. And again, Someone who at the beginning of this season probably you didn't think was gonna be part of this bullpen mix or, or you know giving us effective innings out of the bullpen. So good job from Xavion Curry. MVP on the day for this one definitely has to go to Peyton Battenfield. It was a good start. Again, a quality start. Set more than six innings pitch, less than three runs. He's got it. Seven innings pitched, two runs. I mean, literally the two hits are, are the two runs that come across. Score. And no walks in this one and seven strikeouts. It's a a really, really strong start from Badenfield. Working all of his pitches. uh, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by that. I'd like to see this guy get another start after that performance. Uh, So MVP on the day is going to him, even though the Guardians offense literally could not back him up at all. All right, that's everything. Let's get out of here. Again, the final, it was 2-0 Minnesota. We'll be back at a 610 start, so starting a little earlier. We're back on Bally Sports. Did anybody else struggle with Apple TV Plus last night? I had it on my TV. However, my father, I could not figure it out. I, I literally had a FaceTime with him, not to throw my dad under the bus, but I was literally FaceTiming with him, trying to get him to figure it out. And somehow he activated MLB TV. I don't know. You know how sometimes they package that stuff, right? Maybe with your cable subscription or your cell phone coverage, they like, we'll throw in MLB TV for you. So because of that, he was blacked out on his local team because that's how MLB TV works. It's for out of towners. It's for if you live anywhere else in the country and you want to watch your local team from back home. Why? I don't know. Why isn't it just everything? Why can't I just watch every game if I get MLB TV? Why am I blacked out on my local team? Because these regional sports networks, now the regional sports network is broke. So give us access. So for some reason he had activated MLB TV. I hope he's not accidentally paying for it because it is expensive. And uh, because of that, he was blacked out of the Guardians game. And I was like, I, I don't I literally don't know what to do I, unless I come over to your house. I don't think I can solve this one over the phone. So uh, next time we're on Apple TV, I'll have to make uh, a trip over to mom and dad's house and help help them out, help the guy out so he can watch the Guardians game. All right, that's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveyBarris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting the podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.